Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Great to be with you again, Alan. Uh, am I still alive? <laughs> <laughs> We're at the tail end of the Princeton Smart Driving Car Summit, the third annual, and have to say it's been a, a very, very interesting three days. Uh, yes, it has. It really has. I think it's been uh, pretty darn successful. I think everybody's pretty happy in terms of uh, the open discussion that we had here. I mean, it was really open discussion. Thought-provoking, a lot of solutions being talked about. And with us now is David Kidd, Senior Research Scientist at the Highway Loss Data Institute. Thanks for joining us, David. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Insurance plays a a huge role in this whole picture. Talk about that a little bit, Alan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been... I've, I've believed that for, for quite a while, three, four, five years, six years, I don't know. And why? Because if safety is a guiding uh, thrust of all this, if in fact we achieve safety, which means don't crash, we'll still crash a few times, but nowhere near as much as we're crashing now, then in fact uh, the, uh, the uh, loss or the liability implications of us using this form of mobility should change drastically. And and since insurance uh, is based on, you know, how much they're going to have to pay uh, for this, that in fact, uh, how much they pay should go down substantially. And therefore, uh, the, the revenue part of the insurance industry is going to change. But also, they may be able to also invest in it uh, so that we all buy this. I know that when I bought my house recently, the insurance agent came in and there was some knob and tube. It was built in 1820, of course, wiring in there. And they, they gave me a choice. Hey, if I had the electrical system that way, it was going to be X in, in my rate. If I changed it, it would be Y. Hey, I changed it. They gave me an incentive. This is the opportunity that the insurance industry is going to have with these. And if we get to a point in which the technology is so inexpensive, then in fact, um, they'll they'll even pay for it to have it in there or at least guide their their customers. So this model has it, that model doesn't. Look, uh, you should buy this model over here. We'll give you a a little incentive. We'll let you benefit from it, and guess what? We'll also keep a little bit for ourselves. That's okay. Why? It's a win-win. This is how you get the win-wins, and this is how you really make things happen. David, so, you've, you've addressed some of the some of the issues here. Uh, among them, I think the perception that some people have that that automated vehicles spell the end of insurance. That's right, and there's a lot of concern in the insurance industry about how automation will change the way that. Uh, vehicles are operated, the operation model and whatnot, but that's a long way away. And, and what Alan's speaking to now, we have systems available in vehicles today that provide an additional layer of safety by automatically intervening in emergency situations. And based upon analyses of insurance loss data, right, how frequently claims of different types are, are filed, the severity of those claims, we know that the frequency uh, people are filing claims are driven down by some of these technologies like uh, automatic emergency braking. Uh, things like blind spot warning. And so there's a lot of promise in these advanced driver assistance systems to help prevent crashes. Now, 
the other side of it is what we're seeing so far is because of the technology that's equipped to vehicles to enable these type of features is newer. It's also put placed typically in vulnerable locations. It's expensive to repair them when there's a crash, either because it didn't work or because it's another crash where it wasn't designed to work. Repairing those vehicles is more expensive, leading to higher dollar claims. So sometimes it's not clear whether or not that insurance rate will change. So right. maybe, maybe. And even more than that, uh, people's driving behavior may change, and they may drive uh, in a more risky fashion. And so, it, it's it's it. We have to work it. We have it's to. It's a lot we, more we're, complicated. We're, it is complicated, but there are opportunities here, and and with education, so. Uh, quit driving like a maniac, as well as, you know, buy the right product. The hope is that take those two things together, that in fact the, the, the liabilities go down so that the insurance industry can reduce its rates and save a lot more of that money and become richer. I mean, that's, that's where, but, but seriously, that's the opportunity that exists, and that's what we should tr strive for. Everybody wins on that one. What, what, what role do you think the insurance industry can or, or, or should play in driving the adoption of all of this new safety equipment, this new technology that can prevent so many accidents? One of the roles that it can play is if it's determined that these technologies, as we we're finding with our early studies and some other studies of police crash reports, are preventing claims and reducing crashes and hopefully the severity costs that we've been finding kind of come down, then there's reason for many or for insurers to provide incentives to their customers to buy vehicles fit with these systems. Now one of the hang-ups here is that it's not clear which vehicles actually have these technologies. Many of them are optional packages that are fit to vehicles. That kind of information is not readily available in vehicle identification numbers or other information that's available publicly. So this is a struggle. We don't have we don't know what's on vehicles as consumers necessarily, and the insurers that insure these vehicles don't know what those vehicles have on them as well. Until they know what's on the vehicle, they won't be able to provide accurate pricing, which could lead to this discount that people are wanting when they buy these safety features. Seatbelts seat are mandatory. The the ABS brakes mandatory. Should more of this equipment be mandated? I, my personal feeling is yes, it should. And we're, it's difficult. It takes a long time for regulation. My personal to feeling is no, it takes too long and forget about them. I mean, really, uh, this can be accomplished in, 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 a, in a better way. One, through the education that you're providing by providing the information as best as you can collect it and making it available so that it's, it becomes obvious to everybody what's what's good and what uh, may be not so good so that's a really important piece that you're playing and and let let the marketplace do it i mean going down and trying to get washington to go you know mandate you say this the marketplace do you mean that insurance rates would come down uh, insurance rates uh, yes and, and 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 that an insurer if, if 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 i'm an insurance company and i have you as a customer and you're going to go out and buy a new car I may want to say buy that one instead of that one. Hey, you're going to be safer, and I'm going to make a little bit more money. I mean, look, even that is, is a reasonable deal. So one of the things we do at the Institute is provide consumers with this information Absolutely. to influence their choices about what safety features to look for on vehicles. 
Now, with regards to things People like... People do look at crash tests, for they, instance. Crash tests, tests are sexy, right? I mean, even though they represent a situation we don't want to encounter, it's people like to see these videos, how their vehicle performs, and get vehicles that do well and protect occupants. Now, with regards to advanced safety features, we have reached a voluntary uh, commitment between ourselves uh, and the, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and most of the automakers in the industry to fit front automatic emergency braking into vehicles as standard by 2022, September 2022. And so this is a faster way of achieving standard fitment of these life-saving features than regulation, something that we're looking to, as a way to, as Alan was saying, get it in faster so you can enjoy the benefits. What are your thoughts based on the, the technology you're seeing out there today about when we're going to see mainstream mobility services? I mean, we, we see, obviously, Uber and Lyft out there. When, when are we going to start seeing Waymo becoming kind of a mainstream service for people? So mainstream mobility services that are based upon this automation, right, where you have either driverless type of operation, um, I think you'll see examples. Uh, within well, we're some now, exactly. but not not but not, as not, a, not without attendance, right. right? And I think you'll see with driverless or attendant lists as a mobility service within five, ten years. But simple examples, in terms of wide deployment, I, I think we're decades off. So it'll be a while. It'll be a while. I mean, it's still going to be a while, but we've got to get the darn thing started. Okay, once it's started, we can gauge to see where you know how well it's doing, but. We are not started. And one thing we know from this past year or so is that we do have to do this the right way and can't afford another mishap. We cannot afford miss. I mean, not that it's our fault. I mean, sure, the, the North Koreans can attack us and blow one up or something. I don't know, but, you know, some weird. But it can't be our fault. It can't be. We can't look at the code and say, hey, we turned off the automated emergency braking system. I mean, you know, we, we, we can't do that. I mean, that, that was inex, inexcusable. For more information on the work that you're doing, where can people go? So you can go to uh, www.iihs.org. David Kidd, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. We're back and joining us are Cecilia Feely, Transportation Autism Project Manager at Rutgers Kate, and Andrea Lubin, Senior Researcher at the Voorhees Transportation Center at Rutgers. Thank you for joining us, Cecilia and Andrea. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks very much. One of the things that you've done here is some pure research, I suppose we could say, at the third annual Princeton Summit on Smart Driving Cars. Tell us, tell us what went on here, what kind of research? Okay, well, we did some vehicle rides on the field with people who have never experienced the vehicles before, and they did a, a short this trip This was in around, an automated vehicle. An automated vehicle, the Ollie, um, from Local Motors, that drove them around on the, on the campus so it was secure and safe, safe for the riders, safe for the public. Um, and so we experienced that. We recorded that. We haven't been able to look at that footage yet. And then we brought them into a room and we did focus groups with all of, all of the uh, vehicle riders. So we have the experiences while they're on the vehicles that we're going to be able to observe later. And then their feelings immediately after that vehicle ride about that experience. 
And so. Andrea, you've got some information on what, what you found there? Sure. Well, we had, there were 21 participants. Um, we had one group that folks had visual impairments, and the other three groups, um, folks had developmental disabilities. And the feedback we heard was very positive, very encouraging. Folks were eager to ride an autonomous vehicle again, whether it be Ollie or another vehicle. Um, and a lot of the um, participants expressed very interesting questions to us that we wanted to raise with Ollie um, regarding the interface and accessibility. And folks were just very excited about the spontaneity and the freedom that riding an autonomous vehicle could grant them and their families who are currently uh, giving them rides to get where they need to be. Cecilia, that was really what this yeah. was all about, and yes, not, not yes. just giving people a taste for fun of, yeah. of riding around yeah. in an automated vehicle. Well, the other part was, which was surprised me, you know, we didn't give them any financial incentives, so they came at their cost. Some people took the day off work to experience this because they're so excited within the communities about this incoming um, technology, about the autonomous vehicles and the emergence of it and the potential impact that it's going to have on their lives, that people traveled from Philadelphia, um, New York Brooklyn. City, Brooklyn, throughout the state, and some people drove over an hour and a half to come on their time to experience the vehicles, because, and they were so excited and happy to just be part, to get a taste of the technology, to know that it's coming, and hopefully in the next couple of years that they'll have this vehicle, because they all described, I mean, some of them wanted to use it tomorrow, and I want to get to the movies, and like, why can't I use it now, so because what, I love what, it. Can you put into words what yeah. it what it represents. I mean, something that I think most of us take yeah. for granted every yeah, single yeah. day. Well, I think it's the freedom of the for the people who can drive. We have that freedom of I want to go somewhere and I can hop in my car and go. And for the people who cannot drive for whatever reason due to their disability, for a variety of reasons, they can't drive. We had people with medical conditions, epilepsy, and other things that they couldn't, they can't drive. Um, but it gives them that same freedom. It gives them that spontaneity. If they, I want to go somewhere, well, now I don't have to rely on my family or AccessLink or an Uber or somebody else. I can have this vehicle and and ride, have that freedom, have that quality of life. So, so uh, you, did you also interview the families, or did you didn't talk to the families? You could. Uh, we would like to do that in the future. We talked about that. We so, we saw so many so many areas of potential for um, additional research. That wasn't in our research protocol. Well, obviously, this the time. families today are the ones for the yeah. most part providing well, transportation. The families did. I, for the bulk of them, were provided. We had one group come from Eden Autism Services, so we did have one group come um, from the com from the local community from Princeton, and every, the rest came. Their families really wanted them to, and the families love this idea. I think something else that we were very impressed with, both Cecilia and myself, was um, how a lot of the folks who participated were really interested in accessibility for all. They want to make sure these vehicles are accessible for folks. Um, most of the people that we were with did not have physical disabilities, but they talked about that. They want to make sure these vehicles have ramps or lifts or that they yeah. kneel so that folks who can't um, every, step up could get on board. Said, and we yeah. were really impressed by that. Yeah. And this yeah. is the time for this to happen when design yeah. is happening yeah. with AV vehicles. And that they're but aware of that. They need to be universally designed and, and accessible for all. Right. So. And, and this is the right time to have them involved when it's uh, easy at the beginning. We know it will be hard to retrofit later. And this was part of the real motivation as to why we wanted to do this. And it's so wonderful that we were able to pull it off in yeah. some sense, you know, uh, it was touch and go for a while, and uh, you know, but everybody came through, and it was really nice that 
everybody came together in the end and said, yes, this is a good thing for us to do, and uh, and we embrace it. I guess that's what you saw, right? Yeah. Well, and that's what we're excited to go back and look at the the footage from in the vehicles and see about how those experiences were because we didn't really we we let each of our researchers have a turn riding the vehicles with each group so we didn't have the same person so we couldn't really congeal all of those experiences but we were going to go back and look at the footage because we had several GoPros on each vehicle and when they were boarding the vehicle so we have all that footage to analyze and that the discussions on the vehicles to analyze post-conference, post-summit. This is, this is really uh, uh, heartwarming that you were able to, to succeed at this because, you know, it's one thing to do these symposia or these summits in which you have a bunch of uh, techno-jerks um, uh, Pardon sharing, me. <laughs> yeah, you know, sharing the information. I mean, that's all good, but to actually sit there today and I think make some progress. We also had a workshop with the uh, University of California San Diego Design Group, and it seemed, or did, did, were you able to participate in any of that or well, not? I talk, we talked to them a lot in the planning, and we went back and forth about what we were doing and what they were doing. Right. And we wanted and that, to actually meet up before they leave today and just right. bring and together. We, we need to bring yeah. that together, and and uh, they were the workshop apparently went very well. I sort of poked my nose in there, and and uh, it was it was really very very uh, uh, successful so uh, I couldn't be more pleased uh, look um, we set this up to make this happen and and we may actually have made it happen huh excellent you know and one of the things that you've talked about for a while and it, they're related is the need to get community support before this can become a reality wherever you go with autonomous vehicles I mean Waymo has run into opposition in Arizona and Maybe the groups that are going to benefit from this will help get the message out that this can be really good for everyone. I mean, there are tremendous benefits, potential for folks who are considered transportation disadvantaged. That's people with disabilities and older adults, uh, folks who are working poor. There's so much opportunity with AV vehicles to assist these populations get where they need and want to go. And, and so when neighborhoods or some people might say, we have, we're afraid of this, we don't know how it works, you know, let's not go so fast with this, they need to be listening to yeah. neighbors yeah. who can really benefit. Yeah, I think that's the thing. They they listen to the neighbors, and by having people come and experience it, then they can go back and share and say, this is not a technology to be afraid of. This is a technology to embrace. And that's what we heard from so many sessions, like how the so many positive impacts in so many areas of life that this can have on so many people. Yeah, I think that this is what we're seeing with this. I think we all want inclusive communities instead of exclusive communities. I think, uh, you know, the... Uh, living has changed. I think we all want to embrace everyone as opposed to I'm going to set myself up in my own little enclave and the hell with everybody else. And I think this is a real way to, for the community to reach out, the community to share its resources with with uh, others and to embrace this. And oh, by the way, while these things are serving them, it can also serve me too. So, so in a sense, I, I think it's the right approach. Uh, and um, and we're working on it, right? Can I say something else too? Because the we use the local motives Ollie. I remember one of the people said, "Oh, it was so cute. It was so friendly, and it's such an accessible like 
it's non-threatening vehicles. And it's still under design, so yeah, you can, it can they can make yeah, the improvements yeah, yeah. you need. They 3D print but, these vehicles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just to have that, it, it wasn't, once the people saw the technology, it wasn't scary to them. They really just were so warm and open to them when they saw it. It wasn't like maybe what they pictured from the movies, like your daughter put on the, yeah. on the screens of this is what people's concepts are. When they actually saw the vehicle, they were like, oh, wow, it's so cute. It's so, the windows, it's so bright. I loved it. They loved so many designs. I think that's all so very important. We must get that message out for people. Nobody, this, I think this is the first time we've had one of these vehicles in New Jersey ever. Okay. I mean, really? No, seriously. I don't think they, they've not been anywhere. So maybe next year we do it here and then we take it down to Trenton and, you know, make, 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 maybe, make the governor come see it. You know? Maybe, maybe it passed uh, through New Jersey on its way up to Buffalo on a flatbed truck or something. Well, maybe the, the, the Buffalo one did, but, but no, none ever stopped. And, I, and, and to have this reaction, people, of course, you're going to be afraid of what you don't know. But when you see it, you say, what? It's Look at what happened to us. They weren't going to let us move it. They were going to make us have a static display. Then they saw it and they said, what's the problem? Hey, go ahead and do it, right? Isn't that what happened? So luckily we... Um, we uh, we kept the faith, right? And we, we didn't bail. And then, uh, I'm telling you, yeah, I mean, I, I had many thoughts of saying, uh, uh, throw in the towel and the hell with this, right? Uh, but uh, well, yeah, well, really, you, really yeah. important step, I think, taken here at the at the third annual summit, Alan. I think so. Yeah. Too. I shared with some video footage that maybe you guys can no. share. Yeah, I, you shared it with me. I have not been able to look at my phone yet, okay? Uh, you know, I, Fred, we should let you know we're very excited to um, work on writing up the results and hopefully publishing the results, and it's so important to get the word out, not just to the community, but to the designers of the vehicles as well. Yeah, as soon as you have them ready, you're going to be back with us on the podcast, I hope. Definitely, definitely, yes. And we'll get it out, and, and I, think, I think it's important. And, you know, we probably should, you know, throw proposals someplace in Washington, uh, send something to Diana and say, look, you know, uh, this is a start. We'd like to do more or something like that, right? With the, with the technologies, yeah. yeah. Right, and, 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 and instrument them, you know, so that, and I guess we have now the approval to do that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, right, modifications, right, right. and so, there, we can do the studies so, now. So all, <laughs> we did the, the hard all part. The, uh, all the overhead that we had to go through, and all the hurdles we had to jump over. Uh, and thank you for all your help in making that happen. You work like a dog, uh, you know, uh, making that happen. But look, without you, it, it wouldn't have happened. Well, yeah, thank you. I mean, inspiration's easy. Inspiration's easy. I'm telling you. And you had the perspiration. Uh, Cecilia Feely and Andrea Lubin, thank you so much thank for joining us. Thank you so Thanks much very for much. Us and, us and thank you, Dr. Kornhauser. Yeah. And anyway. that's it for this podcast, uh, this edition. Yeah. I think it's the 105th now, Alan, of these, maybe sixth of the Smart Driving Car podcast. Anyway, we'll put out a Smart Driving Car sometimes this weekend and include some of this stuff and maybe talk about it a little bit more after I've had a chance to uh, think about what the hell just happened. Well, you can find us at smartdrivingcar.com. I'm Fred Fishkin for Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening.